Hey, everybody. You find yourself constantly driving your kid or grandkid to and from their sports practices. But have you ever actually stopped to ask yourself, does the kid even want to play sports? How to balance the line between motivation and being pushy. Up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Ahead of his candidacy acceptance speech at the Republican National Convention tonight, Mitt Romney is getting plenty of suggestions about what to say. Former rivals Rick Santorum and Michelle Bachman have simple suggestions for Romney ahead of his all-important speech. Show the American public who he is. Give you some insight into the... uh the man and, and what he's all about. To let them know that ultimately his concern is that he cares about the average American. He cares about their life. There are also calls for Romney to offer some specific solutions for the economy. He's worked on the speech for several weeks and is expected to talk about his Mormon faith, something he's mostly avoided during the campaign. Jerry Bodlander, Tampa. While Romney prepares to speak, President Barack Obama has been voicing his plan to work more with Republicans if he is reelected. In a just-published interview with Time magazine, the president says winning a second term could be the political equivalent of popping a blister, since the GOP wouldn't need to spend any more time anguishing about his fate. Obama also tells Time he hopes to make immigration reform and energy independence key priorities in the next four years. His comments about Republican cooperation in a second term mirror what he said in an AP interview, believing his foes would understand by then the American people had spoken. Mark Smith at the White House. While Republicans have been revving up their campaign at the RNC, Democrats are taking the opportunity to do some fundraising. The morning after Paul Ryan accepted the number two spot on the GOP ticket, Obama campaign manager Jim Messina sent an email blast to supporters saying, don't roll your eyes and groan, donate. Messina says it's not enough to tell like-minded friends Ryan's attacks on Obama over welfare and Medicare are blatantly false. The president needs resources to fight back. Democrats know between Mitt Romney's campaign and like-minded interest groups, they face a big fundraising gap. Team Obama's hoping outrage over the GOP convention can help close it. Mark Smith at the White House. Consumer spending jumped up dramatically last month. The Commerce Department says consumer spending rose a half percent last month, the fastest pace in five months. Nigel Galt, chief economist at IHS Global Insights, says it was a good month for retailers. Retail sales had a, a very good month in July, so that's translated through into these numbers. Consumer spending is closely watched because it accounts for 70 percent of all economic activity, and it was up largely because personal income grew 0.3 percent last month. There weren't any price increases, so all of that was actually increases in uh, real income, so it boosted spending power. Economists say the increases in income and consumer spending could help boost weak economic growth. David Melendi, Washington. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your uh, relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show every day to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives, healthier relationships long into the future. Thank you so much for joining us right here on BYU Radio. Now, remember, one of the goals of BYU Radio 
is to help you see the good in the world. And uh, that is one of the goals of today's show as well. We want to tune you into some tools, some ideas that you can use as a parent, okay, to create better motivation. My children are all getting started with school. Love that idea. This is, to me, one of the best times of year, finally, to get them back on schedule, to get them into, you know, a a setting, a a focused area again. And hopefully, you know, hopefully this year we'll do better than last year. I'm so motivated to get them studying and working and all of those incredibly positive parental things. Now, I'm noticing, though, my children aren't nearly as motivated as I am that they get motivated. (laughs) And I found that, uh, you know, they've only been in a week, but, our, you know, they come home with all these disclosures we're supposed to sign, all these rules we're supposed to give them. And I'm noticing that uh, some of them aren't even getting those signed yet. And I'm like, so are you going to get on that? Are you going to get on those disclosures? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're like, relax, Dad. They're not even due till Friday. <sighs> so how do we motivate a child? How do we get somebody to do something? Especially, like, get your disclosure signed. How hard is that? Well, it's apparently pretty hard. And a lot of us, I think, become very, very pushy parents, getting our kids to do things, live vicariously, and we're living through them vicariously. How do we manage to motivate our children more effectively without overtaking them, without stealing their agency, without pushing it too far? You know, when kids go to school, parents often feel worried about their children, if they're going to do well, right? Some parents become more involved, and they end up overcompensating. The question is, when is too much? One of our producers compiled some stories of parents being involved. Maybe you heard about an Easter egg hunt in Colorado that was canceled last spring. Well, the hunt was for children with a roped-off field for them to seek eggs out by themselves. If we go back one year, you'll see why the event got scrapped. The stage was set, eggs were placed, the kids were prepped... And after a misannouncement that some interpreted as a go, several parents who were determined to get their kid an egg jumped the rope and began stuffing eggs into their child's basket. Other parents, crying foul, also jumped the fence to help their kids who couldn't compete with the overzealous parents by themselves. It was said that the event passed in only seconds as a mob of adults invaded a children's-only game. I'll admit that when I first heard the story, I gave a chuckle. I think it was a coping mechanism, honestly, because inside I felt uneasy about the unusually poor behavior that some parents exhibit in our day and age. From dads running onto the field to tackle the kid who pushed their little athlete to disrupted Easter egg hunts and toddlers in tiaras. From a Time Magazine article called Parents Behaving Badly by Nancy Gibbs, we read a bit more about new problems in a new age with parenting and school. One counselor at a high school, for example, tells about how a parent called to argue about her child's grade that they received on an essay. The counselor said it became obvious that the parent had actually written the essay because she argued every single point. Really, the parent had received a C grade, not the student, and that's why she was so angry. The headmaster at this university school in Cleveland, when asking a group of moms why they'd come into the school that day, was met with the answer that they were watching their senior students on their last day at lunch in the school. In my own experience, my friend, who was a teacher at a public school, watched a mom come into the school and wash her student's locker with a toothbrush, whilst her awestruck and highly embarrassed student looked on. In this article, Gibb offers a thorough exploration of the hazy labyrinth that is parent-teacher relationships in the age of helicopter parenting. 
Another teacher tells about having received written insistence by parents never to reprimand or correct their child. This same teacher worried that children won't learn about what's best for society or the common good with the system of what she called a, quote, cotton candy sense of self with no basis in reality, unquote. The last part of Gibbs' article that we'll look at here is a concept introduced by Scott Peoples, a history teacher at a high school in Colorado. Of this no-consequences attitude, he says, quote, I think some parents confuse advocating on behalf of their student with defending everything that the student does, end quote. Of this, Gibb writes, quote, Every principal can tell a story about some ambitious student, ivy-bound, who cheats on an exam. Teacher flunks her, parents protest. She's made a mistake and you're going to ruin her life, unquote. So the teacher is ruining her life by carrying out consequences? That sounds like the time my stovetop reached out and burned my hand. Anyway, if you'd like to read the article for yourself, go to www.time.com. The article is called Parents Behaving Badly by Nancy Gibbs. That was Ian Jones, one of our producers, talking about the Time Magazine article, uh, When Parents Behave Badly by Nancy Gibbs. Good, good advice, good insight. And it's interesting. Um, There's another study that came out of uh, Urbana-Champaign, Illinois, um, at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And one of the things they found there are these kids who, you know, who are struggling to do better with their homework. If they have parents that aren't controlling, they actually tend to respond and get oriented to learning how to do their homework better than if the parents are overly controlling, like telling them what to do, how to do it. And so isn't it interesting, almost counterintuitive, that sometimes if we would just let our children be autonomous a little bit, give them a little guidance, I guess, a little direction, you know what? They might be able to perform even better without, of our, without a lot of our pressure. So that's what I wanted to talk about on the show. We're going to be bringing on um, Professor Dr. Wally H. Uh, Goddard, who is a Ph.D. professor of family life um, at the University of Arkansas at the Cooperative Extension Service. He really is an incredible man, has a PBS television series on par- parenting and a great blog at drwally.org. We're going to be bringing Dr. Goddard on in a minute and uh, hopefully giving you some tools, some ideas on how to parent without being so darn pushy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after this break on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Researchers can now see two to three times more clearly by using tiny mirrors that they can bend. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. The concept of adaptive optics to improve astronomical imaging has been around since the 1950s. The idea is to change the shape of the mirrors and telescopes to correct for distortions caused by our atmosphere. Recently, Boston Micromachines Corporation worked with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory to develop Microelectromechanical Systems, or MIMS, deformable mirrors. The mirrors on these systems are extremely small, low-power, lightweight, and perfect for space telescopes. Up to a 1,000 tiny mirrors on a silicon chip can each bend independently to correct light waves with unparalleled precision. The mirror systems are now in use on major observatories around the world, and the next generation of deformable mirrors is being developed to help astronomers get images of planets orbiting nearby stars. 
NASA is using this technology as they design and develop instruments with up to 100 times the imaging power of the Hubble Space Telescope. MEMS technology is also being used in microscopes, imaging cells in the retina of the eye, and improving optical communications by shaping laser beams. For Innovation Now, this is Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Start your day right with Marcus Smith and the morning team. We're going to talk about um, just stuff, you know, lots of st things that show up that, that once we're in your home and they go to somebody else's home and how do they get there? Maybe by way of a thrift store. Join in for conversation on current topics and events from around BYU campus and the world and get your morning talking. Tune into the morning show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking pushy parents. How do you motivate without uh, messing them up? And uh, how do you get some progress um, with those people you love? You're not motivating them because you just don't love them. You're motivating them because you care, because you really want to make a difference in their lives. We are going to be talking to uh, a true blue professional on parenting in a minute. Before we do, though... Obviously, it's always good to provide your kids and grandkids with a bit of motivation, right? But to motivate a little too well, you may be crossing the line. I was on a blind date at a prominent mall attached to a theme park north of L.A. And as I was walking along the balcony overlooking the main walkway, I saw a young woman, probably still in high school, just singing her heart out near the entrance to Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. Well, what do you expect? It's Hollywood. I've never seen so many mild to moderately talented people willing to perform with all their heart and soul for free in the slim hopes of being discovered. But then I saw the table, and instantly I felt bad for this girl. Behind, perched on a folding director's chair, was a slightly older clone of this girl, her hands grasping one of the 8 by 10s stacked in front of her, ready to shove it into the face of the first music executive-looking guy in a suit who happened by. I turned to my date and said, Ten seconds, and I already know this story. Now, my date couldn't care less. Her attention was turned to the tacos I'd promised to buy her. And I'm not trying to sound mean, but we all remember that thrill we had of summer vacation. How deflated this poor girl must have felt when she walked in the door on a sunny California June 2nd afternoon, only to hear Mom say, Guess what, honey? I looked a city walk all night, every night, all summer long. I'm sure you know the story. Performance moms who wanted to be a model, singer, actress, dancer, skater, whatever it was. But despite all their best effort, they never really quite made it. And from the moment little Juliet is in diapers, she's surrounded by cute outfits, microphones, acting gigs, ballerina tutus, or ice skates. And of course, let's not just pick on poor mom. How many young boys grew up in bedrooms surrounded by baseball pennants, novelty basketball hoops, and posters with key phrases like, All-Star! For every performance mom out there, there's got to be at least two sports dads. We'll never forget what it was like being put on the injured reserve list back in 1982 and vow that their sporting legacy will live on through Little Junior, who dad affectionately refers to as sport. Way to go, sport. Good eye. Good eye. Now, a little motivation is good. 
My dad was kind of the opposite of a sports dad, and I never hit a baseball with a bat until I was in junior high. But at a certain point, that motivation goes too far. And what's the line? Well, I think dragging your daughter out every night to perform at the mall, you know, maybe that's crossing the line. Good work, Robbie. Even though you can't hit a ball, we love you with all our heart. Um, we, uh, it's just so interesting, this, this whole toddler and tiara kind of thing that you see on the cable channels. You know, kids, you know, they want to be pushed as well. So we're going to be bringing on our expert, uh, Dr. H. Wallace Goddard, Ph.D. Dr. Goddard, I've known him as Dr. Wally. Uh, he's a professor and family life specialist with the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service. Dr. Goddard has done so many things. Uh, in my mind, he really is Mr. Family. He has a PBS television special about um, parenting and marriage. He has been married for 36 years describes his wife, Nancy, as the finest human being he has ever known. Together, they have three adult children, nine grandchildren, and have cared for 20 foster care children over the 36 years of their marriage. Dr. Wally Goddard, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, it's great to be with you, Matt. You bet. Now, what do you think? I mean, you know motivation. You know kids. are How pushy? What, what's the big deal with being too pushy? Come on. <laughs> Boy, it, it really is a tricky business because sometimes... We uh, need to support their dreams instead of imposing our own, right. and, and that's the trick. When we're uh, really living our lives through them, or we're really helping them live their dream, yeah. How and do that, you know? Course, requires a lot of patience. Um, one of the one of the bits of advice we have in in the human development arena is is that a parent must follow in order to lead follow in order to lead. In other words, instead of trying to drag them to what we want them to be interested in, we, um, we follow their interests, we tune into their interests, we listen and pay careful attention to the things that excite them. Mm. What if they don't know how, where they really need to go? That's why I'm just taking them there, Wally. I'm just well, trying to get them to know what's really good, because I've lived, you know. See, isn't that kind of the attitude parents have? Let me just lead you there, then I'll follow you. <laughs> yeah, what a great idea. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? And, and, and research suggests two processes that have to work at the same time. One process is help them explore. Explore, explore, explore. Try out new things. You know, try athletics, try music, try a lot of different things. But that has to be matched with a committing process hmm. to explore and commit. But we also tend to believe that most of the committing happens in adolescence that uh, when a child is in their teen years, then, okay, they're, they're ready to start making some commitments. And so the ideal thing for a parent to do is give them lots of reasonable experiences with that exploring while they're still younger. Oh, interesting. So adolescence, what age is that? Like 9, 10? What is that? 5, uh, we, 6, 7? There's really an important developmental change that happens around 11 years of age. Around 11 a child starts being able to think about thinking. Uh, we call it metacognition. Right. They, they can think about thinking, and, and uh, as they do that, they can start reflecting on themselves. They can start seeing themselves almost as if they were observers. And that really opens the way to start making some commitments and, and understanding. You know, I have always really loved this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. Do, they, do you get a sense, I, I guess, are we just... What what drives the parent to to push the child instead of following their lead? What drives them? Do you think to just 
vicariously throw themselves into it? Well, I, I'm guessing, Matt, there are a lot of different kinds of anxiety. Sometimes it's fear that the child will fail, or it might be some kind of anxiety. We want them to be successful, or it may be our own feeling of, you know, are, are we being judged that we're, our mm. kids aren't successful enough? There are just there is probably as many different reasons as there are parents, but but all of those lead us to impose ourselves on our children in ways that really don't benefit them. One way we think about this is that um, the, all the point of parental guidance, all of it, has one central purpose, which is to help children learn how to make good decisions. Right. It's not about imposing decisions. It's not about making them successful. It's not forming them in our own image. It's about helping them to become people who are good at making decisions and enjoy the decisions they've made with their lives. And then, yeah, so that is an actual skill set. I mean, that's a parental oh, yeah. tool set. What, so what I'd love to do is, as we go through today, just talk about some of those pieces. What are the pieces that are critical as parents that we help them go through to explore and commit and, and learn how to make their decisions? And then how do you kind of validate the decision, even if it's not your decision and it's not one you would have made? How do yeah. you do that? May I illustrate with a story? Yeah, please. Um, when our son Andy was entering his teen years, he said, Dad, I really think I want to be a pilot. And one of our family mottos is, had been, we really want to support our children's explorations. And, and you know, my mind kind of strained there. Wow, pilot, how do you help Andy explore that? <laughs> I said, Andy, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. You, you go to the library and check out a book on gliding and after you've read that book, I'll be glad to go to the local airport. We lived in a small community, a university town, and I said, I'll be glad to go to the airport and pay for you to to have the gliding experience <laughs> where you take the stick and actually experience it, something that uh, you might not easily be able to do when you're just an early teen. Right. So Andy read the book, and we scheduled the appointment <laughs> at the local airport. Just, I bet he's so they, excited. Oh, yeah. This is going to be so great, Dad. Yeah, he was in heaven. uh, What could go wrong? So so the tow plane pulls him up, and he's there with an instructor in the glider. Uh They tow him up to however high, and then they uh, cut him loose, (laughs) and they start gliding. And Andy has the stick, and he really gets the experience of of being in control there. Right. And as they landed, we uh, were allowed to run out and greet him out on this little runway, and uh, we ran up and found that Andy's career path had been changed by a bumpy day and his lunch of two corn dogs. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, his career path suddenly veered in a very different direction. I love it. Isn't that now, life is the best teacher? Yeah. I mean, in theory, he absolutely loved flying, but the reality was that maybe his stomach didn't love flying. Right. And uh, Andy had always had an interest in art, and we encouraged that interest, and Andy actually got a degree in graphic design and has done superb work in that area. See, and corn dogs, well, do, uh, corn dogs won't negatively influence that, <laughs> right? He can yeah. eat as many corn dogs as he wants. <laughs> you wouldn't guess that a corn dog could change your career path, but <laughs> no, I guess it can. Killed by corn dog. It's, yeah. it's just, uh, to me, it's fascinating because as, as parents, what we're saying then is we have to let them live and give yes. them enough, just give them enough you know, you can be, create boundaries for them. And I mean, you didn't just let them go fly a fighter plane and whatever. But, <laughs> That's right. But I guess part of it is give them enough rope to go explore 
and life will teach what where really they need to go next. Exactly. I you love that. It. But look at the look and, at the self confidence that takes as a parent. And and to, it gives them I, I you can see how that motto, follow in order to lead, plays out there. Yeah. We were following his interest, but we were also helping him chart out a future along the path he thought he'd like to take. And by doing that and by being kind of patient with it. Yeah. Uh, and and also notice that one of the elements you asked about the pieces a moment right. ago. One of the pieces is that he's investing in it. Um, sometimes we, you know, a child says, you know, I'd like to play this instrument, and we go out and invest $1,000 or more in a very nice instrument, and and our commitment has gotten way ahead of theirs. Right. Sometimes it's better to rent an instrument and say, now, if if you make this commitment, we're asking you to stick with it for at least whatever, maybe six months of lessons right. a contract. or a year That's in band great. or something. Yeah. And and so it really is a um, it really is an investment, and we ask them to do their part, mm. and and then doing that over time, children learn not only what their interests are, but they also learn to take some responsibility. Well, and then the, the neatest thing about it is you, it's not about you. Yes. It's it's about it's just kind of about the natural process of life intervening on their dream. Uh, I just had a son that was for sure going to be a pro football player, and he just played football. He actually had uh, three weeks under his belt, and then he got tackled and broke his arm. And and in the emergency room, I said, so how do you feel about football? Because I told him he wasn't going to be able to play the rest of the year, and he's like, you know what? I think I'm good. I think I'm good with football. I'm done. So the dream was gone. Yeah. And yet, and you yeah. hate to see the dream die, except you also hate to keep paying for something that isn't a dream of theirs. Yeah, and and so there's that balancing act that is such a trick in parenting where you ask them to make reasonable size commitments and we make a supportive commitment and it's it's really an exploration and that's where we come back to that part of an identity which is Exploring and committing, and uh, your son explored football and committed. <laughs> it had the experience, <laughs> the ultimate commitment. He gave two bones for it. Yeah, that's right. Isn't it interesting? So you're saying too, the committing would be them, you know, forking out their own money or committing to a, a contract with you of practicing daily for six months or whatever. That's exactly. the, that's them exactly. extending some skin in the game. Yeah, and in Andy's case, it was that he read the book on on uh, gliding. Mm. He read the book, and we discussed it. He answered questions. He he understood it. He'd invested only a little bit, and we invested a little bit, yeah. which was the relatively modest cost of a single experience in gliding. And likewise with the music lesson. You know, yeah. maybe they say, I just absolutely have to be a drummer. And you say, you know, I'd be willing to rent a drum set for you for a year if you'll commit to practice X amount every day, and it ought not to be unreasonable. We're not asking to pre- prepare for, you know, world-class performance right. on the first round. But we are saying, you know, well, let's let's make sure this just isn't a fad. Let's make sure, well, like you said, they've got some skin in the game. I love that. And I, I really think, I think that's so critical. Um, we'll chase it for, I mean, I didn't get the, I didn't get the airplane thing out of my system. I was like your son, convinced I wanted to still go be a pilot, this was just a year ago. And sadly, I went up with like an acrobatic pilot oh, no. over Mount Timpanogos, <laughs> which you know of here, in, uh, oh, yeah. and, which is a huge mountain. And 
Uh, he basically did everything um, an acrobatic pilot could do, and I was I committed to never, ever doing that <laughs> again. And I hadn't even had a corn dog, Wally. Hadn't <laughs> even had one. without a corn dog. Nope, not without one corn dog. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Okay, Wally, what we're going to do, we're going to take a break. We're talking to Dr. Wally, Gard- Wally Goddard. Uh, really, honestly, I so respect this man. Professor and family life specialist at the University of Arkansas. This he truly knows parenting, and he I'm sure he hates being called all these great things. But a wonderful human being, uh, so profoundly knowledgeable. So we're going to take a break. Come back. Keep picking his brain about how we motivate Wally. Be thinking too. How do you motivate him to do something that you actually want him to do? Like if oh, I have something I want to get him interested in, how do I get him to do that? We will uh, come back talking to Dr. Wally Goddard right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. BYU Radio is your home for Cougar sports. And after each weekend's action, don't miss True Blue. Each week, join hosts Dave McCann and the entire True Blue team as they bring you highlights, analysis, and interviews from all the major BYU sports. New episodes air every Monday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with repeats Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Here on the home of Cougar sports, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Mitt Romney has been checking out the venue for his speech later tonight and making last-minute preparations. Romney and running mate Paul Ryan walked into the Tampa Bay Times Forum a few hours before Romney's speech. The governor came back to the floor a few minutes later to check out the revamped stage from where he'll speak. Closer to delegates than other speakers this week, aides say he will lay out a clear vision of a Romney presidency and also talk about his own story in what's been a week-long bid to humanize a man often seen as a distant politician. Sagar Magani, Tampa. France and Britain are not taking any options off the table when it comes to resolving the Syrian conflict. Could a no-fly zone be established to protect civilians in Syria? We are excluding no option for the future. British Foreign Secretary William Hague was asked before a U.N. donor conference on Syria about a Turkish proposal for a safe zone. Is one likely? No. Anything like a safe zone requires military intervention. And that, of course, um, is something that has to be weighed very carefully. And, of course, it is not something to which the United Nations Security Council has assented or would be likely to assent to. The Syria crisis is worsening with thousands of civilians fleeing civil war. Warren Levinson, New York. The controversial Texas voter ID laws were overturned today by a federal court. Texas says it'll appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court after a three-judge panel here in Washington ruled the law imposes strict, unforgiving burdens on the poor, noting that racial minorities in Texas are more likely to live in poverty. A decision is pending on a similar strict photo ID law for South Carolina. Pennsylvania, Kansas, Texas, Wisconsin, and other states also have tried to limit or ban the use of student IDs for voting. The Brennan Center for Justice has found such voting restrictions could keep more than 5 million young, minority, low-income, and disabled voters from casting ballots. David Melendi, Washington. J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter book series, is building some expansive tree houses, despite protests from her neighbors. 
The author of the Harry Potter books lives in a 17th century mansion in a suburb of Edinburgh with her husband and three children. Submitted plans show two tree houses that'll reach up to about 40 feet from the ground, connected by a rope bridge. They'll have cone-like rooftops and windows in the style of Hogwarts Castle. There's a spiral staircase, balconies, a steel slide, lanterns above the doors. The neighbors who complain said the tree houses will be visible from the road. The city council, though, granted Rowling's request, saying there'll be no negative impact on the area. Kyle McKinnon, London. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about how to blow up the pushy parent in us and how to start motivating from the heart how to lead uh, and actually lead by following your kids, understanding their heart first, and then once you're in there, being able to give them some feedback. Let them lead their own lives a little bit. And we're talking to Dr. Wally Goddard, uh, professor of family life, uh, specialist at the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Services. Dr. Goddard, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be back. So good to have you. Now, um, before we were talking just about, you know, how important it is to kind of follow their lead, be patient, explore their ideas, and then get them to commit some level of commitment. How would you suggest you approach a child that isn't motivated on something that maybe is important? Um, I guess there could be two things. One thing would be if it's important to me, I really want you to play ball. Uh, That's maybe one thing that's not as important. But maybe um, school. When they don't seem like that's like their inherent drive, what do you do then? Wow. I mean, I could get mean and ugly. (laughs) That's a challenging question. I mean, school is pretty central to our growing up experience, isn't it? Yeah. We're all going to get a a pretty heavy dose of that medicine. (laughs) And and, uh, and probably uh, one key is to help the child identify what their their feeling is about school. So imagine that you sit down with a child who's a little bit reluctant and isn't having a good experience. The normal, natural parent is going to say, now listen, here's what you need to do when you start right. itemizing, ticking off, and making even thinly veiled threats. In contrast, the effective parent is more likely to say, you know, um, tell me about your school experience. What's it like? And they say, well, this teacher is an idiot. And you say, <laughs> oh, man. It's hard when you don't when your teacher isn't making sense to you, huh? Now, now notice that we aren't saying, "Yeah, they're an I idiot." Totally I agree. That's the yeah. dumbest person in the universe. <laughs> Instead of that, we're just understanding their feeling. Wow, it's so hard, isn't it? When when you have teachers that just don't make a bit of sense hmm. to you, it's like validating them. Talk about their experience, and our job is to stand with them as if we were in some sense, a classmate, and experience what they're experiencing. Oh, I love it. It does a couple of things. One is it gives them a chance to really express a lot of their feelings. The other thing it does is help them feel like we're on their team. Yeah. Like we're not enemies. We're not pushing them. We're not standing there with a, with a gun trying to drive them into a battle that they don't want to fight. Well, exa- and you'll immediately, if you're not, if you're in between them and school, or you're actually on the school side, they're going to pull against you every time. But you're kind of saying, walk around to their side. So it's kind of like you two looking at the school instead of the school and you looking at him. Get them, get them on your side. And that, that, I guess, is what the goal is, is building trust. And in reality, that sounds more of your same principle, isn't it? That's just following yeah, 
that in order to lead. Get them sharing. Exactly. You did it again, Wally. No, you keep sneaking everything back into the same point. <laughs> that's that's a sign that you're really uh, smart. Really sneaky. You're really sneaky, or you uh, only have one point. Um, <laughs> it can go one way or the other, Wally. But, but it really is, honestly, because you're just saying honor them enough to influence them, or in, honor in order to influence. So get to know them, honor their stories, because inside their story they're going to tell you, why they have this aversion or don't like school or what it is. You're going to get the answers in there. Exactly. And, and uh, John Gottman has, has said that very often when, when there's some, some subject that we're trying to negotiate, we, we choose one of three postures. One is to turn against, you know, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you motivated? What are you right. going to learn? What's it going to take to turn against? We know what that creates. It creates resistance. It creates anger and distance. And uh, in contrast, uh, the the second approach is to turn away, just kind of, Avoid. you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, whatever. Hmm. And the third option is turn towards. I I like to change Gottman's approach slightly and say, and, and say, look at with that is join the child, like you said. Yeah. Look, help me understand. I you know I haven't been to your school and I haven't lived in your skin. Take me on a tour of your day and tell me what it's like. And and when the child says uh, something about, well, kids shoot spit wads, instead of saying, oh, man, I'm going to go tell the principal, yeah. instead of that, we say, you know, I remember when I used to do that. I, and, and it's yeah. not like we're encouraging the bad behavior, but we're acknowledging it's real. that, hey, they're having a pretty normal experience, and we'd like to understand it. Isn't that interesting? I guess, too, it's the spirit. Are you there to – right? The, the spirit you're demonstrating is a spirit of just understanding – not exactly. fixing yet. You're not trying. You're not. See, the minute it seems like the minute they sense you're trying to get your arm wrapped around them, it's you're once you get the grip, they're going to feel the fear. But you're, <laughs> this, you're just you're not. There's no arm. There's just hugs. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. Good. You're not dragging them to the rendezvous with fate. <laughs> you're instead enjoying the journey with them. And yeah. uh, maybe the genius of that is a guy named Heim Ganat who wrote a book called Between Parent and Child. And it's really about about instead of trying to rush or crowd or demand or compel, it's really about working with understanding their preferences, mm. and and it's a it may seem like a subtle difference, but boy, it oh. makes a big difference in outcomes. It's interesting. It seems like we're as most of us. I guess I'm talking for the general all humanity. Um, we uh, we we opt for the counterfeit, where. Um, we're not. We're not. We're not doing this with our children. We we feel this. The hierarchy's there, and so I'm here to just do it to you. <laughs> and it, exactly. And it, then we kind of just pass that down, and then we we all chalk it up to I'm just trying to be a good parent, and yet we still aren't. We don't have a great relationship or a connection. And when the child resists, we increase the pressure. Yeah, thinking that and will The more help. we increase the pressure, the more they resist us. And and when ultimately we make the ultimate power play, then they say, "Well, you know, you can make me go to school, but you can't take away my failure. Uh, uh, you know, you can't you can't make me succeed at school. You can make me yeah, get there. I can go, but you I can't. You don't. You can't make me get an A. Yes. Ah, uh, nightmare. I want to apply it to one more situation, yeah. which is one of athletics. Um, I, I had a dad approach me once, a, a beloved, dear, sweet, beautiful man. He said, "He said, you know, my son, I just, he says, I watch him play basketball in this community basketball league, and the, the kid was in, like, junior high. 
And he said, it just makes me so nervous because this kid is just playing around and he's not taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, what should I do? I mean, I just feel like jerking him out of there and saying, you know, you, you owe it to your teammates to give it your very best. And he said, so what do you say to that? And I, I said, you know, I, 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 my answer to that, Richard, is it depends on why your boy is playing ball. Is he playing ball uh, because he's on a path towards pro ball? <laughs> right. Or, or is he playing ball because he's hanging out with his friends and having fun and getting a little exercise? And, and I think we ought not to impose our agendas on our children's lives. And that, so whether it's uh, in school or athletics or any development of talent and interest, that, uh, you know where we're going, follow yeah. in order to lead. Oh, my heavens. Wally, <laughs> you need another one. No, that yeah, really we, is, <laughs> it's, you know what I love about that is um, it's almost like intuitively part of their spirit, their essence, they know what their gifts are. And if we kind of uh, get out of their way, they'll kind of float there. But we, we don't even recognize what they're doing as a gift. Like my son will just play yeah. on YouTube, and Grandpa gets so tired of seeing his grandson on YouTube. He's making videos. He's doing all of these things. And I sat there, and it dawned on me that he's just following his gift. He loves creating and, and you know, movies, and he's naturally gone to where his gifts are. So now let's imagine that you as dad, you hold up that mirror to him that essentially says, Wow, look at you. Look how much fun you're having when you're creating. Yeah. Look how you like to take these elements and put them together and make something that's just fun or interesting or in, in, informational. Uh, boy, isn't that wonderful that uh, you get so much joy from it? And that's the measure, Yeah. is that we really, uh, we really do what we were made to do and we have joy in doing it. Absolutely. But it's not going to make you money, Wally. You don't make money on YouTube, Wally. <laughs> Isn't that that's where yeah, we go we as a parent, huh? Great producer for television. <laughs> that's exactly. A, a no, but that's true. Huh? Movie director. <laughs> yeah, it really is. That's so real, and it's more my fear that then creates this need to control, or grandpa yes. or whoever. It, and then they, we create this controlling atmosphere, and then they actually just rebel. Then they turn against. And and very often we get very anxious about career paths, etc. And I'll bet you that you and I and everyone who's listening has had the experience of having invested a lot of childhood energy in something that didn't become a career, yeah. but has become a source of continuing satisfaction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Whatever that is. Yeah. You know, maybe it's art or maybe it's writing. Whatever it is, um, we've all had those secondary interests. And uh, boy, what a great life enrichment that is. And to reduce everything to... Wow, how are you going to make a living at it? Right. Uh, is really to squeeze the joy out of it, isn't that? And and again, that's a concept that the teen or the whatever wouldn't even be dealing with right now. Dad, I'm just doing Facebook or I'm just on <laughs> YouTube. Get off my back! Oh, it's yeah. fascinating. But see, you, it's the it really is the spirit of honoring these children. And, and I guess a lot of people I could see Wally are out there thinking, "Oh man, you guys are so soft." Kids need tough love. They need tough structure. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, uh, one one thing I would say is let me tell you about what the research says. That yeah, let's hear that. When we overstructure, we get two kinds of reactants. One is rebellion and the other is passivity, and neither one is good. Hmm. Now, to have some structuring, yes. To have some limits, yes. Sure. Have consequences, yes. 
But when we try to over-regulate children's lives, what we get is a continuing contract with conflict. Mm. It just doesn't work for them, and it doesn't work for us. It damages the relationship and keeps them from really discovering what the that joy is that motivates them, that uh, energy, that genius that's yeah. a part of each person's soul. I love that. In fact, I'm seeing it with my own kids. The I, I, I guess one of the gifts I have is helping them at least find what they're good at. And now I've got this disparate group of kids with so many uh, talents or things that they're just, they just love. Like I have a son that'll just talk to me about like sports psychology. He's loved sports forever. Then he kind of didn't grow big enough to play football anymore or line. And um, all of a sudden that he's now into the psychology of sport and is reading uh, every book at age 17. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, he's got it. He's got something Isn't he's just great? passionate about. And whether it's just a hobby later and he's going to coach or whether it becomes a job, he's got it. But then there's and others he that his interest to migrate yeah. from one thing to the next, mm-hmm. and it does it very naturally. Yeah, he, it's like it's almost like he knew where he was going. Yes, it's just I guess we just like you're saying throw enough opportunities there, and then let him just shuffle through them. And and somehow you, you you said it before and said it perfectly, which is every person has a gift, every person has inside of them some capacity that's unique and amazing. And our job is to not try to pre-impose our mm. ideas or our preferences, but allow them to explore enough while making commitments that they ultimately find that. And then one of the big surprises, I think, is that the key is that they use their gifts to make the world a better place. Yeah. And if we give them those opportunities along the way, you know, whether it's uh, our daughter, Emily, who growing up was so compassionate and should invite classmates over to our house who got left out of things. <laughs> Great. Wow. And and even now, Emily is a gatherer who uh, is superb at doing that. She's not a hoarder, so is she? discover their talent. Because <laughs> well, that's what we'd worry about. about that, honestly. Oh, but isn't that beautiful? I mean, honestly, and so it's this, that's such a subtle gift, this gift of just looking out for the the downtrodden, the one that are the weak, the weary. Yes. Oh. See, and, and each child has some unique, amazing, well, I won't say just child, every yeah. human has some unique gift. And our challenge is to help them discover that. And I think the number one way is what, what do you love? What do you resonate to? What brings you joy? Or the way the psychologist Cheek Senmahai says it is, when you get engaged with that task and you get so so totally engaged that you lose track of time. Oh. It, yeah, what would you what would you do on your free time? And it's funny, my son would read books about psychology and coaches and uh, my other son would go to YouTube and start creating. That's <laughs> it's so natural, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a perfect example of how each follows their own path and finds it pretty naturally as long as we provide them a reasonable opportunities to explore their talents. What was the question again? What brings you joy, but what you asked, uh, Chick sent me high, said, um, what is it that oh, you spend you your so time doing? You get totally engaged in it, and it's a challenging thing, but you get so totally engaged that you lose track of time. Mm. He calls that flow. Yeah. That you just get totally absorbed. And I love that idea. You know, yeah. you live outside, you step outside of this timeline that uh, usually marches us along against our will. You step <laughs> outside of that and just get swept up in this, well, joy, this this experience that transcends the uh, ordinary. I love it. And and then when you involve other lives, other humans in the joy or the flow or or service to the greater community, then it then it becomes it becomes um, 
like it's addictive. Other people start to become wanting more of it. You start to influence. Your power gets bigger. Your scope gets broader. Your your depth goes deeper. Imagine a community where uh, everyone is living their potential and they gladly bring it to uh, to the community. You know this. Ugh. I, I mean, there's that um, that New Testament metaphor that Paul talks about, where uh, each part, you know, who would say to their uh, little toe, you're such a puny little thing, right. and you really have no noble functions. I think I'll just whack you off. <laughs> um, you off know, with the you, toe. Say to the hand, I have no need of thee. That's right. But rather, all these parts fit together in a magnificent harmony, and in a wise community, we cherish each of those various talents, and we hold them up as vital to the functioning of the whole. Love it. That is, and see the value, and see the value in between all of the parts, all the relationships, see the connections. It's powerful. What a great, so in a way, we're changing the role of parenting. And as we wrap this Ah, up, you're changing the role of parenting to be a leader as a follower. Follow in order to lead is your governing rule, huh, Dr. Wally? That's right. That's right. We really tune into their interests and preferences, and that that says it. We follow in order to lead. And you know what? It was amazing. You tied every single thing to that. That's how (laughs) focused you are. What's your one challenge, Dr. Wally? What's one thing that every parent, just a takeaway, that that they could go home and do tonight? I would say to anyone who's listening, uh, go home and, and sit and watch. Watch. Watch your children. Watch what they gravitate to. Watch when they have free time what they choose to do. Watch what lights them up like like a like just a neon light. Mm. Watch what it is and look for that joy, because as you do, you'll know um, how to follow their interests and lead them towards their purpose. Perfect, Dr. H. Wally Goddard, Ph.D., professor, family life specialist uh, with the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service. Dr. Wally, I guess they can find you at uh, www on your blog, drwally.org. Yes, and our university stuff is at AR for Arkansas, arfamilies.org. And that'll have that'll have a bunch of tools to help families. All kinds of resources, yes. Oh, good stuff. Appreciate you, Wally. You're the best. Thanks, Matt. Good to be you with bet. you. Thank you so much. And uh, really, take his advice. He knows what he's talking about. Watch. Go start being present with your kids. Watch. Learn. Let them influence you. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We will be back after this break on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A new crash protection technology is making an impact on the auto industry. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Seatbelts save lives, but only if you wear them. And while most people in the front seat buckle up, only about 60% of those in the back of a vehicle use them regularly. An innovation that's been in the works for more than a decade could soon change that statistic. Passengers who have tested a new safety belt from Ford say it's more comfortable, with more padding and smoother edges, but making the seatbelt more comfortable isn't the half of it. The new rear safety belts take a cue from another safety innovation, airbags. In the blink of an eye, sensors immediately determine the severity of a crash. If needed, 
Each belt inflates a tubular airbag inside the shoulder strap with cold compressed gas to provide extra padding. Compared to traditional belts, Ford's rear inflatable belts help spread the force of a collision over five times more of the body to enhance head, neck, and chest protection. Ford expects the safety belt innovation to be most beneficial to more vulnerable passengers, like young children and the elderly. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Rise up and become a corporate sponsor of Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For information, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. Go Cougars! The long wait is over and Cougar football is back on BYU Radio. First time in a long time. This Thursday, head coach Bronco Mendenhall and the Cougars open their season in the newly remodeled Lavelle Edwards Stadium as they take on Washington State and their new head coach, offensive wizard Mike Leach. All the way! Touchdown, Cougars! Pre-game begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time with kickoff scheduled for 10.15. Here on your home for Cougar Sports, Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're wrapping up the show today of Pushy Parents, how to create uh, motivation by first getting into your child enough. Remember the principle, follow in order to lead. That uh, just a great interview by Dr. Wally Goddard. Highly suggest you go look at his website um, again at uh, drwally.org. Um, seriously powerful man. Now, before we go too too much further here, ever had things work just fine for one minute and then blow up in your face the next? Well, our producer Bryce uh, has, and he's pretty sure he knows why. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. Your first year out of high school speaks volumes about who you really are as a person. Whether you're going to school or just working, it all tells the same story. So for my first example's fake name, I'm going to call him Sean. Now, Sean was very successful in high school, involved in lots of organizations, flawless grades, national test scores were among the best. Want to guess how many semesters he lasted in college? If you guessed one, you guessed too high. I mean, clearly the kid had talent. He was capable. By all means, he had everything an administration could hope for when it came to investing their time into a freshman. So what went wrong? I don't think Sean really made his own decisions, ever. His parents made all of his decisions. And once he was far enough away and realized they couldn't enforce their decrees, figured out he could do what he wanted. And as for my third-party observer opinion, he was awful at making decisions, just utterly incapable. Long story short, he's been a train wreck ever since. My next example's fake name, we'll call her Felicity. On paper, Felicity is almost a carbon copy of Sean as far as their successes in high school are concerned. But there's one major difference. She's driven. All her parents really needed to do was keep her fed, and she would take care of the rest. Want to know what she's done since high school? Yeah, so would I. There's a trail of clues which indicate that she's still alive, but other than that, your guess is as good as mine. What went wrong? Well, before she fell off the face of the planet, her parents noticed something was up, so they stepped in to parent like anyone else would. But they had no idea how to go about it. They didn't know what would work for her. They just took a swing at it. Felicity barely knew how to be directed, but she most certainly did not know how to take directions that were against what she wanted to do. Long story short, she reacted negatively to an intervention and has since disappeared. 
So what did they do wrong? The kids and parenting styles complemented each other wonderfully. Why haven't things worked out? Because they lacked any moderation. Look, there's fire on both ends of a spectrum. Go too far either way, and things go wrong. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. The Bryce is right. Moderation in all things, he says. And Felicity, don't know where he got that name. Anyway, uh, welcome back. What we're trying to do is wrap up the show right now. Parenting. Parents, uh, those of you driving home, you know, had a tough day, exhausted. You got your kids back in school, starting to do their homework. Um, Let's start. Let's make a commitment as we're driving home. We're going to be different. We're going to today. We're going to take the advice of our expert, Dr. Wally Goddard, and we're going to go start watching our kids. We're going to start listening. We're going to be present. We're going to try to be influenced by what they're saying, what they're doing. Odds are, as I see it in my own children, when I kind of get out of the way and then validate and support what my children love to do, um, they grow in it and they get very talented at it um, and and they get they literally get excellent. Um, and they get excellent naturally. It's not even something I, – I, it's interesting as I see what my children are most motivated by. It's not the things we've spent the most money on. My children – my child uh, one day bought a $550 camera. He was 14 years old. And um, we got a bill for $550 on our Amazon account. And then he handed us all of his money in his account because he wanted this this camera. And with this camera, he's now making movies. And he's making movies that he puts on YouTube. And he's had a YouTube video that got up to 11 million viewers. Okay? Then he started making money on it. And then they took it down. <laughs> um, but he's he's getting it. And he's doing it all on his own because he's motivated. I now start to think, man, what if I start helping put some energy, some some money, some resources, some tools behind that? And then as I see that I start to do that, he starts to lose the dream because it becomes my dream, not his dream. Our job is to help him be dream weavers, right? Help him weave these dreams. Help them tie them together, get the resources they need. But as Dr. Wally taught us so perfectly, we need to follow in order to lead. Let them, in order to influence somebody, this is one of my favorite quotes by Stephen Covey, in order to influence someone positively, we must first be influenced by them. So your challenge is to go home and let your children influence you. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have boundaries, but we probably ought to be asking more questions than giving answers. We probably ought to let them talk more and listen more. That's why I believe God gave us two ears and one mouth. And our ears, if you notice, were meant to stay open. The mouth was meant to close. So shut it and start listening to your kids. Thanks for listening to us, folks. We couldn't do it without you. We love having you here every Monday through Friday. Again, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, We're here for you and would love to uh, be here every day for you. Keep joining us on The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Today's Thinking Aloud originally aired in 2012. The following is a production of BYU Broadcasting in cooperation with the Brigham Young University Division of Continuing Education.